Welcome to 15 to Life, the podcast that talks about life after life in prison. Come with us on a journey and explore stories from within the prison walls to outside the prison walls. All of these podcasts are dedicated to the victims of crime. Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome to another segment of the podcast, 15 to Life, the podcast where we talk about life after having a life sentence in prison, and we're back today with part two of the interview with Joy Bell, Um, so we're going to jump right into this. This is basically her time while in prison. It's an interesting story, kind of goes through two different times, so um, lots of information in here. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. I get all the horror stories of what a men's prison is like. And let's be right. real, prison horrible for everybody, but men's prison and women's prison are two different animals. Good right? So have, and and typ- typically, men's prisons tend to be more violent and more racially segregated, in my experience. And yes. so I had his stories, and he was a Native American. So I have his perspective, and he's the only person I ever knew that had been to prison and talked to me about it. So I didn't, I had no idea what to expect. And so I spent three days in the county jail in a DOC pod, you know, so they sort of segregate county offenders who were just there on a misdemeanor, mm-hmm. drunk driving, whatever ticket. And anyone that's scheduled to go into the Department of Corrections is housed in a different pod. Yep. And so of course, then I start getting the horror stories of what prison's going to be like from the girls already in the pod. And then I'm transported to diagnostic receiving as they call it here in Colorado. Right. And still had um, no idea what to expect. Um, That first day um, I've actually written about some of this journey. Um, I sent you that to read. Mm -hmm. Um, It's incredibly over. It's a really long day. Um, And when you don't (laughs) know what to expect, they sure as hell don't want to explain shit to some new number coming in because there is sort of an assumption that everyone going into prison has been there before, part of the criminal lifestyle, right? But they don't want to explain to you when you, someone like me who has no freaking, why are you yelling at me? I haven't done anything, right? Like this isn't how we're supposed to treat people, but here I am and I get to be strip searched and you can't tell in this picture, but I'm covered in tattoos. Well, I don't know how they do it in other states, but here they have to take a picture of all of that. Mm-hmm. I yep. was in that little photo booth for a very, um, come on, people, I am fully covered in tattoos. So I was there for a really long time, you know, and getting an ID and talking to mental health for all of five minutes, mm-hmm. you know, all of the stuff. I'm sure, yeah, okay, every state's different, but it's there's a theme there. There's probably some big similarities in how that first day, seeing dental, seeing mental, mental health, seeing medical, getting your ID, getting your uniform, getting your boots, all of the stuff you got to do, right? That's probably pretty similar everywhere. But when you have no freaking clue what's happening, it's really overwhelming. And I absolutely was scared to death and had no idea what to expect. So, yeah, no, and California, pretty much the same thing. A few things probably a little different, but, yeah, it's it's pretty much the same thing. You go through that process, and, yes, uh, for everyone listening, it they they pretty much assume that you already know everything, and so if you ask a question, you're getting yelled at, and, yeah, it's 
it's crazy. Um, but anyway, <laughs> but at the same time, I know there's probably people listening that are going to say, well, you, you guys put yourself. Yeah. yeah. And, and I agree with you on that. You right. know, I, uh, at the same time, a correctional yes, well, officer has a job to do. So, uh, <laughs> don't sign up for the job if you don't want to do it. Well, that, that, and okay. Yes. We made choices that landed us there. Yes. However, and probably, I don't want to speak for you, but probably part of some of why we do what we do now is just because I made some horrible choices and landed myself in prison. Yes, I did. That doesn't mean I'm no longer human. That doesn't mean I don't deserve dignity and compassion. You and I both know, and I'm sure probably plenty of people listening here, there's a whole lot of people that are incarcerated because they've got underlying mental health and trauma issues that have never been addressed. They were self-medicating for a reason. We're not helping anybody by warehousing them in prison. And, and yeah, uh, it, it's kind of like uh, you said, the, the, the PSI and, and in California, they do a, a probation officer has to come and see you after you get sentenced. And uh, it's, I think it's a most ridiculous waste of time and money because they do this report that goes to the judge for sentencing because the judge can give anyone probation based on that report. To my knowledge, no one has ever got it. Like, you know what I mean? So, (laughs) so my question is why even do it? Like, what's the point? Cause you get asked all the same crap when you get to prison anyway. So why waste everyone's time and someone like me and I'm like, Oh my God, I got family. I got all this good stuff in my face. Yeah. They didn't care. care. Yeah. So yeah. uh, I, I definitely agree. Like, um, my my thing is, regardless, once you go through that process and you're being warehoused, yeah, uh, I'm a ward of the state. Like, you, whether you like it or not, your system take care of me. No, I don't need steak dinners and stuff. But hey, like, I need my medical. I need like, if I have a stupid question, it's because I don't know. Like, educate mm-hmm. me. If I ask right. the same question five times, sure, yell at me. Because now, yeah, I'm a dummy and I'm showing you that. But to your point, how many people are not diagnosed with what's Anything. really, yeah, what what's really going on, right? Um, and uh, I'll definitely say from my prison experience, I mean, there were guys in there that were super intelligent, uh, but they were like evil. And I couldn't help but think, man, maybe if someone really put some time into them, like they could take that intelligence and that ingenuity and apply it to positive things versus like constantly trying to, you know, always go against whatever is quote unquote right. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> so we could be here for days. On yes, subject. we, we could. So, so, all right. So you've gone through the process. Um, I'm assuming did you move again to an actual prison or were you yeah. like, how does so, that work? Um, here at the Denver complex. So you have mm-hmm. DRDC, which is um, Denver receiving a diagnostic, right? So yeah. everybody goes through there first and that you're testing and intake and all that stuff. Right. Um, and then the, here in Colorado, there's only two women's prisons, um, roughly 20 for the men. Um, so the men, depending on your security level, the men tend to get moved around a bit more, right? Whether you're minimum, medium or max. Right. Well, Colorado for the women, it's Denver, which is the maximum, or La Vista in Pueblo, which is medium security. Um, so depending upon your classification, those are your two options. 
So I was in Denver originally for roughly three months. And you kind of move from unit to unit, you know, as you behave well and do well and stay out of trouble. So they start you in unit five, which is an absolute chaotic mess. <laughs> and you're still learning prison, right? Like you don't know, how do you get mail? How do you use the phone? Canteen, what the hell is canteen? How do you get to the library? <laughs> like you're still learning, right? If you've never been to prison before, you have no freaking clue how to do any of this. Mm -hmm. um, and depend, I mean, I got really lucky. My first roommate was great. Um, I'm still in touch with her. She's still in, um, but she was willing to answer questions. She was willing to be kind and compassionate and explain some things. Like I didn't even know what the chow hall was and how we got fed. Okay. <laughs> like I had no clue how this worked. Right. So I got lucky. My first roommate was great. Um, and then I progressed through um, from unit five to unit three, to unit two. Um, and then I got shipped to La Vista down in Pueblo, which is way south. Um, more back then it was considered a work camp. Um, it's definitely, um, so Denver is more what you think of when you think of prison, barbed wire, lots of concrete, mm -hmm. can't walk outside, um, walking one way on a sidewalk to Medline, all of that, probably pretty common for anyone that's been to a prison. La Vista down in Pueblo happens to be on land that is owned by the state mental health hospital complex. Mm. So it's real pretty, you know, it's definitely more of a hospital sort of environment. Right. Um, two story buildings, lots of pretty flowers. You can walk out on the yard. There's a big fat gym to use. It's, it's more, it's definitely a prettier place to be for sure. Um, definitely appreciated doing the bulk of my time down there. Um, good warden, lots of good programming. Um, to be able to go outside and sit by a tree, that doesn't happen in a lot of prisons. Um, but we were able to do that down in Pueblo. You still can. Nice. Well, not now during COVID, but <laughs> in general, <laughs> COVID's a whole other issue. Um, but, you know, so then I got shipped down to Pueblo and... Um, so on that original eight-year sentence, I did roughly two and a half years. Um, while I was there, I pursued my next case. I had stolen eh, roughly 150 grand from a nonprofit. Go me. Um, pursued that case while I was inside because my thinking was, I know it's coming. I know it's going to happen. I would rather resolve it. I didn't want to get out, deal with it, and come back to prison. Right, right. Already sitting in DOC, figured I would get more time. Oh, no, they sentenced me directly to community corrections. So I'm sitting in prison. <laughs> yes. With okay. a prison sentence, followed by a consecutive community correction sentence. Interesting. Yeah. Mm, that's one word. Another word would be cluster. <laughs> so what happened was, because it was a consecutive sentence, my case manager was like, oh, no, 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 you can't go anywhere until you finish the sentence. So I'm thinking, because I don't know the system, I'm going to have to do eight years. And then I'm going to have to do right. 12 years community correction. Because So I got sentenced to a 12-year community correction sentence in my second case out of Denver. Yeah, that's okay. For anybody who doesn't know, that is not how that works. You have things, <laughs> good time and earned time. And whatever time generally a judge sentences you to is not what you end up serving, right? So I did roughly two and a half years on that eight. 
and then I go out to community corrections as a DOC client. There's different rules. You have diversion clients, which is somebody who's sent directly to community corrections. Right. And then you've got DOC clients who have been sent to a halfway house to transition out onto parole. So two different animals. So when you're still a DOC client, DOC rules apply. You still your AR still apply, like whatever your DOC rules are, you are still subject. You're still considered an inmate. You've just been, for lack of a better way to explain it, you've just been transferred to a different unit that happens to be in community, yep. right? That's one way to look at it. Well, because I had this consecutive community, correct? So I was both a DOC client and a diversion client with mm-hmm. two cases. So how that translated was two sets of office visits, two sets of UAs, two sets of restitution, two sets of home visits, two sets of rules that didn't always agree with each other. For example, DOC, my parole officer, wanted me driving because I was spending too much time not at work because I was on the bus system. The halfway house said, no, you can't drive. Well, which is it? Because I can't do both. Never did get an answer. Right. And so it's so two sets of rules, essentially, because mm-hmm. I was both easy and diversion. It was a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And let, let me just interject, like for people listening, that happens a lot. And whether it's uh, kind of what Joy Bell's talking about with her situation or it's people that uh, end up having to do probation time when they get out and they're on parole and now they have a probation officer and a parole officer and and yeah and you end up having these two to three to four sets of rules depending on if you're in a halfway house and you're here and you're there um, and 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 yeah you don't know because you could literally go against one set of rules to abide by the other set of rules yeah. and it, it kind of just puts you in the crosshairs and it's sad to say it is a reason why some people reoffend because they're just like, you're going to violate me anyway. I might as well go out on my terms versus you trying to make me uh, a violation even when I'm not, you know? So. Right. Yeah. And that's actually, that's actually part of the reason why I did end up reoffending. So the first time I go to prison, I spent two and a half years. I took Cisco. So bear in mind, I didn't qualify for any sort of mental health help. So I wasn't getting anything to deal with my worth issues. And on paper, I looked great. Oh, she's done programming. She lives in the incentive unit. She hasn't been in any trouble. So I looked great, right? On paper, Mm -hmm. you and I both know, I didn't really, I didn't really deal with anything I really needed to work on. So I get to the halfway house. Um, Again, had a hard time finding work um, because I'm educated, right? And so the sorts of jobs that the halfway house basically lets you have, wants you to have. Um, so for those who don't know, day one that you get to the halfway house, you owe rent, right? Here in Colorado, mm-hmm. it's $17 a day. So I get to the halfway house. Well, I can't work as a bookkeeper anymore, obviously, right? That's a no-go. <laughs> well, but I'm also overqualified for fast food or the car wash or like I had interviews at like Walmart and Office Depot and Home Depot. And I mean, I was willing to work absolutely anywhere that would hire me, but I now have multiple felonies on my jacket and it's all money crime, right? So I'm a risk, Hmm. right? And a lot of places, certainly, and we're talking 2015 here, um, a lot of places weren't willing to hire a felon, right? And I'm over, and I was overqualified for a lot of the jobs I was applying to, right? 
Um, so I end up three months behind on rent and on an employment contract. If you don't find work within 60 days, we're sending your ass back to prison. Right. I'm scared to death because nobody wants to go back to prison. We, a lot of people end up going, right? The recidivism rate nationally is roughly 52%. Nobody wants to go back to prison. We're violated on technicals. We're afraid. We're not getting the help we really need. Like reentry now is a much bigger thing than it used to be. But in 2015, I couldn't get any help. And I'm three months behind on my rent. And of course, I'm scared to death about going back to prison. I should have just gone, right? Hindsight. So the employment coordinator at the halfway house, there's this job at a warehouse. Um, this guy um, basically was packaging basically beer bottles, you know, like in six packs, you know, mm -hmm. it was a packaging company. So she gets me a job there. Well, he likes me and I'm smart. So they give me a chance in the office. Should I have been working in an office? No, I should not have been. I mean, and sure, sure. I told myself, I'm ready. I can do this. I can still contribute. I can use my skills for good. Yeah, I sold myself a really good story. Here's the thing. When push comes to shove and anybody on earth gets in a pickle and things get hard, what do they do? They do what they know, whether that's getting high, whether that's stealing, whether that's running guns, selling drugs, whatever it is they do, when shit hits the fan, they're gonna go back to doing what they know how to do. So in my case, when I'm rear-ended in a car wreck and my car is totaled on the way to go drop a UA, mm -hmm. right? Um, when that great employer starts bouncing payroll checks and taking advantage of the fact that most of his staff are people from the halfway house, right? Mm -hmm. So he doesn't always pay us. Right. right. Whatever that looks like. And that happens, right? And so I'm looking for another job. Haven't been able to find one. Can't get around because my car is totaled. Can't pay my rent. What do I do? Of course... And I'm not saying this makes it right. It's not right. What I did was not right. But when I needed it, I forged payroll checks to pay my rent, to pay for my rental car, to put food. Because I mean, I'd, right? I'd done this for 10 years. This was not new to me. This was my coping skill, right? Mm -hmm. So I stole like, an, like a jerk, right? I looked to see what the levels of felony were for money. I ended up stealing $5,000 from this employer, which was the lowest level I could, right, for that lowest level felony. Paid my rent, took care, like paid the bills I needed to pay. And then I did actually stop myself, which really sorts of sh sort of shocks me because the first time I went to prison, I probably wouldn't have stopped stealing money if I hadn't been sent to prison. Right. That's just true. So I steal roughly five grand, get myself a new job. I'm not even working there anymore when he discovers what I've done. And actually one of his partners discovered what I had did. Um, and he actually asked me about it. Um, and he and I had talked about it because he didn't want to send me back to prison. Um, he sort of, of course, he wasn't happy about it, but he could sort of understand the level of stress I was under. He could get it. Wasn't happy about it, but he could right. understand, right, what drove me to it. Um, and he actually was even willing to let me start making payments and find a way to work it off and figure it out. He was willing to work with me. Cool cool guy. 
Um, he didn't have to give me another chance and he did. Um, but his partners weren't as okay with that. And so they pressed charges. Um, at this point, I'm on parole. So basically I got to the halfway house, spent a year um, doing halfway house non-res ISP, which is basically an ankle monitor. Um, and then I went out on parole. So at the time I'm arrested, I'm on parole. Well, at the time I committed the crime, I was on ISP. So I was still an inmate. So I get to jail. I of course now have a write-up, right? A COPD is what they called <laughs> it, right? For violating my parole. Well, here's the thing at my parole hearing then, they reinstated my parole because I wasn't on parole at the time I committed the felony. Hmm. So I'm sitting in jail on new charges, still on parole. I don't, I, I can't even explain to you how that works because it really doesn't, but that was what that looked like. So I have new felony charges pending. I have a revocation. So what ends up happening is remember that second case was a 12 year community corrections. So my first case is done and over with because I was on parole. So the, the eight years has disappeared. I have a 12 year community correction sentence. That 12 year Comcore turns into 12 years Department of Corrections. Plus I got an additional nine years on the new felony. So I got a forgery charge for the, pay, for the payroll checks. Mm -hmm. And of course, economic, you know, theft, right? So I get a total of a 21 year sentence to DOC. Wow. Yeah. That's a wow. big number. Yeah. So 21 years, so eight, 12, and then 21. Well, no, eight, 12, nine. Nine, nine. And when you add it up, 21 all together, right? So. And if you add that eight in, that's nearly a 30-year sentence for half but a now, million dollars. But now you're, yeah. And I mean, I'll just say this quickly. Um, people listening, you have to appreciate, think about in the last 10, 20 years, uh, big name people that have been caught stealing millions of dollars or, you know, uh, subverting the, the process to, to gain money, which is the same as stealing it. Um, and either not do anything or do a year or whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll be the first to say, yeah, I'd be pissed if someone took $500,000 from me, uh, if I had it, uh, <laughs> But at the, but at the same time, think about the amount of time that we just heard, right? That's a lot of time. Once again, um, uh, I won't even throw white privilege into that, just privilege in general of someone in a, in a position and with the finance and the, the social um, status uh, that, these are kind of like the economies of scale, right? Like uh, it, it, if you're in a, a small group, you can get away with a lot more versus you're part of the bigger group. Yeah. You're, you're getting 30 years for doing something where someone else does something 10 times worse and gets a year or two. And for the most part it's diverted and they're sitting at home with an ankle monitor and a few million in the bank. So 
yeah, the, it, when 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 you ask why prisons are so overcrowded or why people are screwing up so much that prisons are overcrowded, take it with a grain of salt because people are might not be screwing up as bad as you think they are. Anyway, um, so you're you're back in jail now. You're getting this time. Now, what happens? How how much longer do you end up doing in prison before so, you get to your lovely prison outside of prison? Right. <laughs> I did four and a half years. Um, it was, so on that 21. So on the 12 year Comcore, I, I received that sentence in 2013. I was resentenced in 2016. So that three years of credit that I had served, I did receive credit for that. And um, because I had served that. Right. So that 12, um, I got three years of credit on that. The other amount of time that the judge awarded me pre-sentence confinement credit, I never did receive um, because state law in Colorado, if you're serving a parole sentence, even if you get because you're on parole. So that's where my parole thing matters, even though you didn't think it did at the time, because they reinstated my parole and I was serving a parole sentence, I wasn't eligible for any of the other pre-sentence confinement credit that the judge awarded me because I was on parole, right? Got it. Right. Um, so on that, right, 12 plus nine, the 21, got three years credit, did four and a half in prison for that, and I'm now out in community corrections. I'm still considered an inmate but I'm here at the halfway house. And so just, I know we're so, we sort of brushed against lots of people, stole lots of money, whatever, right? But here's the thing to think about. If you're thinking, yes, I made my own choices. Yes, I deserve to come to prison. Yes, I deserve to be punished. I agree with you. There absolutely should be consequences for my choices. However, consider that the taxpayers pay for everyone in prison. And so your taxpayer dollars went to here in Colorado, it's roughly $50,000 a year to house an inmate. So someone like me, I don't have family support. So I was living on what's called state pay, which is roughly $15 a month, one five. Of that $15 here in Colorado, they take 20% of your pay toward restitution and fines. So the three or four dollars that they got from me each month, that doesn't even cover my interest. So the taxpayer is paying for me to be housed in prison for a total of seven years at 50 grand a year. My food, my clothing, the roof over my head, the bed I'm sleeping in, right? Does that really, if we're going to talk about restorative justice, does that really make sense? Because even if you had put me in community corrections, which I'll grant you is not fun and isn't a fit for everybody, I could have been going to work every day. And even making minimum wage, I could have paid more in restitution than the three or four dollars they took from me each month for seven years. I'm not saying I don't deserve consequences. I'm not saying I don't I didn't really make some horrible choices and deserve some consequences. I absolutely do. But does this really make sense? Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll keep my uh, my response short on that because I, I can go either way on that. 
but what I will say is, uh, if you, you know, and the, each state varies, I think California is at like 68,000 a year. It's like a ridiculous amount, um, to, to house an inmate for a year. But if, if you're going to do that, is there a value add, right? Like, uh, what as a taxpayer do I get every time someone's being housed for a year to ensure that like when they get out, they're going to be productive. Like they're, they're, whatever issues they have are being dealt with versus, you know, are we just doing this as punishment? And if so, why run programs and stuff? Just right. put everyone in a dirty cell and give them, you know, one hot meal a day and screw the rest, you know? So, right. and then the sentences should be shorter if they're purely punishment. Right. I mean, right. when you think about it, because all you're going to do is create a bigger problem anyway. Right. Um, I don't think people think about that, that whole process. They just go, Oh man, if someone wronged me, I want them hurt. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't work that way. And you just hurt, right. end up hurting someone else <laughs> later on. Well, um, that's sort of like, like you, like you just mentioned, like that drives a lot of that conversation around, well, what is the point of prison? Is it punishment? Is it, rehabilitation is it redemption where does restorative justice fit like that's part of this whole national conversation right of what exactly Mm -hmm. is this supposed to be well and and when you look at other countries i think it's sweden um where it's kind of more like that whole outpatient outlook Mm -hmm. where they give people training they actually have real jobs they go to like so they're like already back in society before they even get out right and and it's like here it became a money thing like you know uh, uh in california the ccpoa the california correctional officers um uh, uh uh their union is like bigger than teamsters it's like ridiculous right <laughs> so it's like when you see that it should raise the question are we doing too much with prison that their union is like bigger than the freaking mafia union like <laughs> right well and when we're spending we they are spending that much money on lobbying and like there's a whole other host of issues that yes look at there mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not saying that no union like right they have jobs and god knows i wouldn't want to be a corrections officer right but i'll i'll tell you yeah i might piss off some people i met some truly great corrections officers me too right they're, they're human beings too like our current head of prisons mr dean williams is fantastic i've gotten to meet him i love to hear what he has to say about normalization and what prison should look like. And yeah, he's been to Norway and he's toured those prisons. And some people might not like that I'm saying this, but prison, there is a place for prison. I'm not saying we're never going to get rid of prisons. It's not possible. I agree. I'm not going to say that. But do I agree with necessarily how we treat people in prison? Sure. I could have been treated a whole lot worse. Yes, that's true. In Colorado, they're pretty progressive probably not as as bad as some of the stories I've heard in other states. But if we're looking at mass incarceration on a larger scale, the war on drugs and the 1992 crime bill has not helped prisons. We're not helping people. And okay, maybe not everybody in prison, but the bulk of people in prison are going to come home to your community. Exactly. You want those people to be yeah yeah no and i i agree with that 100 percent. it it's uh that that whole philosophy that like people get locked up in 
they don't come back. Like, no, the majority of people do get out. <laughs> and, and I mean, the whole not being able to get a job and everything else that, that creates stress. And I, I think, um, people don't realize it, but this last year plus a pandemic is showing people kind of what we have to go through without a pandemic, <laughs> not allowed to go certain places and you know, can't get a job. For any of us that have been inside, it drives me crazy when I hear somebody from the outside say, Oh, it's just like being in prison. No bitch. It ain't. Nope. <laughs> no, not at not. all. I hate being on lockdown. This is not a lot. You can leave your house. You can walk around outside whenever you want to. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 Muscle up, buttercup. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, <laughs> I, I know some people, especially. Where do you want to go now? <laughs> well, my people from California are definitely going to ask this. So that was a lot of years and you did a little bit of time. Uh, the majority of people in California are doing 80, 85%. Okay. They still do some halftime on nonviolent kind of year felonies, right? But for mm-hmm. the most part, Californians, we're like, we're, you get 12 years, you're doing 10. Like, that, that's just okay. what it is, right? So, <clears throat> how is that set up in, in Colorado? Like, how much time okay. do you have to do off each of those terms? So, um, here in Colorado, they absolutely do look at nonviolent versus violent. Mm-hmm. So, roughly. Th- Time computation is an incredibly complex thing, but in general, in general, you get my 21 years. So I get good time immediately, which cuts my sentence in half. Then from there, you get earned time every month. And so with my level of felonies and being nonviolent, I get 10 days a month of earned time. So good time cuts my time in half. And then my earned time. So we have, I don't know what they call it other places. So your MRD is your mandatory release date. That's Mm -hmm. my 21 years. They have to let me go at the end of that. Well, then they have my PED, which is my parole eligibility date. So Mm -hmm. you cut my sentence in half. You give me my earned time that I earn every month. And that change. So every month my date moves up, right? Because I'm earning that time. So your PED is when you're eligible to see the parole board and you can be granted parole. Here in Colorado, community corrections, you're eligible to apply for a halfway house if you're nonviolent 19 months before your PED. If you're violent, it's only nine months um, and you can go out six months before your PED. So they do look at violent versus nonviolent. Okay. So... I had been at a halfway house before and you would think that I would say, hell no, I'm not doing that again. The fact of the matter is, is that I was really working on my issues. And if I have the choice of sitting my happy butt in prison or at least being able to see my family, friends and fiance and go to work every day, I'm going to take that choice. Mm -hmm. Are there hoops here that I don't like? Yes. Are there things here that make no sense? Every single day. But (laughs) hey, I get to see my fiance almost every day. I get to talk to my family, my biological family in Iowa that I haven't even gotten to meet yet. That's worth it to me. Am I going to jump through the hoop in front of me? All day, right? Because I can do more, right? Like I'm talking to you right now. Could I have done that in prison? I wouldn't even have met you in prison, right? (laughs) I met you out here, right? Like I can do more. 
I'm getting ready to testify on a legislative bill that means something to me. I'm working with a lot of organizations that I met inside that I'm working with right now. Like I have more opportunity and I can be more of a force for change even in the halfway house than I could be in prison. And for me, I know it's not the answer for everybody, but for me, it's worth it. Yeah, no. And yeah, I, I, I'll never forget. Um, and, and this, I don't think applies to you. Do, doesn't apply to me, although I have thought about it, which is uh, I heard a story at, from a CEO that I worked for um, a few years back. His father uh, was a, a preacher that would go into prisons and you know mm -hmm. preach and everything and go talk to guys and one of the guys that ended up paroling this was in texas um actually came and worked for him right and so the ceo who is the son uh, his father was ceo before him but <clears throat> he's telling me he's like yeah this guy was great he was a hard worker always stressed out you know because of the things he had to do the the, the hoops he had to jump through and everything right and he would talk about how it was better in prison. And he was like, yeah, I just, I, I couldn't get it. And, you know, he's telling me this because he knows my background. And, and I'm like, well, I mean, I get that. I mean, I, I've even thought that sometimes when things are bad, right? And he goes, yeah, but, you know, I asked him about it. What he told me was, I was somebody in prison. Like people respected me because I was in there for so long. Anything I wanted, I could get. You know, even the guards respected me. He was like, I don't, right. no one respects me out here. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I'm an ex-convict. Yeah. Like, blah, blah. And even though he was doing well, he ended up doing something to get him back in prison. Right. I you know, and, yeah. and he was like, what do you think of that story? And I said, I totally get it. Mm -hmm. Yep. I don't think I'll ever be that guy, but don't get me wrong. I wasn't like a shot caller or anything in prison, but I get it because I had cell phones and everything else. So, right. I mean, if you're talking comfort, yeah, I was very comfortable in prison. Like right. I, I was that guy, like people wanted to, to know me. Right. I was like, so I do understand, even if it's just that people respect you because you're big and tough or whatever, mm -hmm. I get why some people will go, this crap ain't worth it out here. Like right. me too. You know, I, I might not have a significant other in there. Well, maybe you do, but <laughs> but you know, I I can have everything else I need because right. I saw more drugs in prison probably than I ever saw out here. So I mean, it right. I mean, I I get that, right? I, I get it. So, but that's how institutionalization happens, right? Because we get comfortable exactly. there. Exactly. And, with a girl here in the halfway house today, she's like, "I'm not institutionalized." We all are. You can't help it you have to actively retrain your brain when you come out of prison. You have to, you do. or you're you do. going to go back. Yeah. And I mean, I, I joke, I mean, I've been out 12 years. And I tell people, I go, I still remember for the most part, those, those 100% meal days. Like, you know, that the cinnamon rolls were on Friday, you know, SOS yep. was on Tuesdays, you know, fish yep. was on Fridays. Like, it, yep. And I was like, it's been 12 years, but, I was in 12 years and that's just what I know. Like right. <laughs> this right. is the menu, you know, Reuben day was Friday, right? <laughs> Cinnamon roll day was Monday. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You just get used to it. And, um, yeah. 
it's like I actually like pancakes, but because I was a cook for so long, <laughs> not anymore. And I had to make pancakes <laughs> for like thousands of people. Yeah, yep. I kind of have a thing like I'm always like, ooh, they have. Oh, I, don't I can't eat. Eggs. I can't eat hard-boiled eggs anymore. <laughs> Cause that's all you get in prison. Can't do it. Can't even look at one. Like it was Easter. No, I do not want to see a single damn hard boiled egg. So, okay. Good thing. Tell, tell me about one, why you were inside on either term. Uh, did you get any visitors? And then also tell me about what holidays were like for you. <laughs> So let's see, I didn't normally get visitors. Um, Pueblo is roughly a two hour drive south of Denver. Um, no, that's not a lot, but it's prohibitive. Um, it can be expensive, right? And the video visit thing that GTL was doing is a whole bunch of bullshit. Um, so I wasn't gonna ask anybody to pay that. I mean, you basically you were paying like $20 for a 10 minute visit. Like, no, I'm not gonna ask wow. anybody to do that. Yeah, it's obscene, it's obscene. And the technical, diff- like, don't even get me started not worth it (laughs) i heard they're taking over in california that's not gonna be a good thing um so i did get um a couple of so i was very invested in programs um developed a lot of really good relationships that i still have um i did the best visit i got um so my fiance um we had been sort of casually dating before i came back to prison and bless his heart he had no idea what he was getting into (laughs) um but he hung in the entire time um, he made sure there was always money on the phone. We talked every week. I am much more of a writer than he is. So he received mail every week. I didn't, I got my weekly phone call. <laughs> week He's not a writer. It's fine. He has lots of other great qualities. Um, but he did make an effort. Um, he came down and finally I've pushed the point and was like, look, I need to see you. Like letters are great. Calls are great, but I need to see you. Um, and so to his credit, he jumped through the hoops, filled out the paperwork, came down and saw me. And we had, uh, so because I lived in the incentive unit, uh, one of our privileges was we got extra long visits. So the day he came down, I was able to get like a six hour visit with him. Nice. Um, yeah, it was great. Um, and so we spent the whole day together. Which was just, it was really, it was a great day. We, we definitely needed the FaceTime. And then of course, COVID hit. So that was the last visit. That was the only visit I got. Um, And then COVID hit. So ain't nobody having visits or programs or anything else. Um, And, but we still, you know, was still able to talk to him every week, still lots of letters. Um, And so he knew when I was eligible for community and like, you know, he, I was keeping him up on the process. And when I came to the halfway house, he was ready, um, had a bag of stuff for, you know, my clothes, my hygiene, you know, all the stuff because they don't provide you shit at the halfway house. You have to provide all of that yourself and pay rent. Um, And so it was worth it for me um, because he had everything ready for me. I'm able to see him most days. I had a job lined up. I had things ready. Like I was ready to come out even in COVID which completely changed everybody's world, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We had to quarantine for two weeks there before we left quarantine for two weeks when we got here to the halfway house. So, you know, it was dealing with that new normal, right? Um, and so that's, that was the visit I got when I was in, um, holidays. Um, I'm sure like everybody else who's been in prison, you develop your quote unquote family. You might not call it that. Maybe it's your pod. Maybe it's your crew of guys, like whatever it is, you develop a group of people, um, that you eat with, that you grieve Mm -hmm. with, that you celebrate with. 
Um, so during COVID, at least, we were all restricted to our day halls. So the way it worked at our facility is um, each facility was two stories. Um, and then you had north and south. So in each building, you had four pods. Mm -hmm. And there were roughly 25 people per pod. So I was in the incentive unit. Um, I lived in Upper South, Unit 1. Shout out to my girls. Um, and so they were super good about, um, we did birthdays together. Um, my good friend, Claire Bear, um, who's been in for 25 years now, isn't expected to leave with her sentence unless she gets clemency. She makes the best prison cakes on earth. <laughs> right? She is the best baker. Like you always know when Claire Bear's baking a cake because the entire pod smells like whatever it is. It, it's wonderful. So she was always the cake baker. Um, so she always recognized people's birthdays, um, Christmas, Easter, all of the holidays. Somebody was getting a cake from Claire Bear. Um, other girls like Shanti and Natalie are both long-term older. Um, both have done 20 plus years, um, our LWAP as well. Um, they always made sure um, that we had a spread. Um, everyone who's been in prison will know what a spread is. Mm -hmm. For those of you that don't know, think of it as a potluck. <laughs> You're bringing a little bit of everything. Everyone's yeah. pitching in, right? It's probably the best way I've thought of to come up with explaining that. Um, <laughs> Things like um, we would be making pozole in somebody's coffee pot or green mm -hmm. chili in somebody's coffee pot. Somebody else would have a hot pot. We'd be making something else. Like that's just how it works. Um, in Colorado, you've got microwaves in each day hall, at least nice. at our prison, we did. You know, so you're able to make whatever it is you want to make. Um, canteen can be pricey, but there's all kinds of good stuff on it, right? And you can do some amazing things with a ramen. You can. Right? <laughs> you really can. Um, so yeah, holidays were always everyone in the pod getting together. And especially during COVID, we were doing a lot more of, we were more restricted to ourselves. So either at our prison, two mans or, well, they started out as eight mans and were reduced down to four mans. I don't believe the men's prisons do that as far as I'm aware. That's just, of course, the women get that, right? Let's not go there. So <laughs> holidays were all about, yeah, social distancing does not happen in prison, people. It's just not possible. Uh, but holidays were definitely about eating together, spending some time together, and of course, fighting for the phone so that everybody could call home. <laughs> Let's just be I, real. Gotta love that, right? <laughs> right. So I, I brought it up on my end, but uh, cell phones in prison there? Nope, not in prison here really really and i don't know okay i can't speak for the men's prison right because even with inmate to inmate mail we're not going to talk about that because they read everybody's of course. mail right so i don't know if it happens in the men's prison but at the women's prison so we once had that i'm aware of uh some girl who was working on a maintenance crew um her whatever threw a package over the barbed wire fence of course we all got locked down for that um, and it ended up being some cell phones and some drugs that, you know, Wonder Boy thought it would be wise to throw over in front of a camera. Like, what did you think was going to happen, dum-dum? Anyway, so that's the only thing. I love seeing the, the drone footage now because that was something. Right? Well, I was, right. before I got out, I was like, they got those drone things. I'll get a, I'll get a helicopter and I'll put a clamp on it and I'll drop it up on the hill. And you guys got to get it down. And I, I came up with all this stuff because there was like a big hill behind the prison. And right. I was like, 
you, you told can me be up there. You know, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I can totally do that. You know, I'm gonna hook it up. Yeah, yeah. no, and that's I not how videos of it. And I'm like, yeah, oh, people no. are really trying that. <laughs> yeah, they really are because they've heard it now. Yeah, not at the prison I was at. I mean, and maybe this is a men versus women difference. I don't know. Um, we didn't have as much fights. Sure, some fighting, but women are way more passive aggressive than men typically, right? So the fighting is different when it comes to women. And more often than not, again, I can't speak for the men, but in women's prison, we're fighting over some bitch that's your girlfriend. I mean, seriously. Right, yeah. I can't speak for the men. But in women, women's prison, that's mostly fights were about relationships, right? But still not, not from what I've heard, not women's prison is not as violent, um, not racially segregated, not segregated by crime. So you could be sharing a room with a child molester, a murderer, whatever your hierarchy of the worst possible thing is, right. you can end up living with that person and having to figure that out. Interesting. All right. So that concludes part two of the interview with Joy Bell. Um, stay tuned. Part three will be out soon. Uh, crazy stories about how things go on inside the women's prison out there in Colorado and going to be moving to getting transferred into the transitional living halfway house in the next segment. So stay tuned for that. Once again, like, subscribe, download, comment. Let me know what you want to hear and what you want more explanation on. And with that, we're out. Have a great day. Great week. See you next time.